Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you hear this message from Pastor Gary Hay. Decisions have descendants. You know, every decision you make is going to impact you and probably a lot of other people, whether you realize it or not. And whether you like it or not, your decisions will populate your future. What you decide today is, in fact, going to play out over, over the years. And, you know, I'm, I'm very, very prone to think about those things because as you get older, you look back and you see the decisions you made that were good ones. And there's been a few decisions we've made that weren't so good. How many of you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I, I was joking with a young guy the other day about um, sowing seeds. You know, we all sow seeds. Jesus talked about it. You reap what you sow. And sometimes after we've sown a few things, we end up the rest of our lives praying for crop failure. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we need crop failure on some stuff we've put in the ground before. And uh, so it's a good thing to make good decisions on the front end. And obviously, it's not always easy. But I want to give you an example just to show you how important your decisions are. This was from history. Uh, There was a couple of guys that lived in New York State back in the 1700s, for instance, and they've had a long time to trace their family tree. And one was a guy by the name of Max Jukes, and the other was a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards, and each had numerous descendants and a lasting legacy in both cases. Max Jukes, let's take his first. Max was not a believer. He was not only not a believer, he was animated in his unbelief. And even when his kids asked him for the opportunity to go to church, he refused to let them go or take them. He had 1,026 descendants, 300 of whom were sent to prison, average incarceration time of 13 years. 190 of his descendants were public prostitutes. 680 were admitted alcoholics. His family cost the state of New York $420,000 by the time the article was written, and it was written many years ago. The other guy in in our study was Jonathan Edwards. He loved the Lord, and his children came to church every Sunday. He had 929 descendants, 420 of whom were ministers. 86 were university professors, 13 university presidents, 75 authored good books, 7 were elected to Congress, and 1 served as the Vice President of the United States. His family never cost the state one dime, yet contributed immeasurably to, their whole, to our whole country. That's, that's the picture I want you to have when you think about the decisions you make. There's a lot of decisions that have that kind of impact. You know, we, when we're young, we, we feel like life is passing us by and we don't really want to take the time to get an education. We don't want to take the time to do a lot of things that don't pay off immediately. Where you go to school, what you study, what your dreams are that you put feet to will have a measurable impact on the future. Who you marry what you do after you're married, what kind of work you take on, how you deal with your bills, how you deal with your health. All these things have a a measurable impact later on. 
The potential factor that I'm going to talk to you about for a second is this. Every decision that you have will release its energy on the future. Our thoughts carry potential and our decisions release it. In my pocket today, I picked up out of my gun room downstairs, and for those of you that are PETA followers, just, just kind of ease off for a minute. This in my hand here is a 375 H&H Magnum rifle shell. I've personally seen what this can do. There's not an animal on the planet that can stand up to this. But as I have it here today, it's benign because it has a primer in it. And until that primer is dented, it can't release the power of this cartridge. Your decisions are like the primer. Your life, your resources, your reputation, and your capabilities are all like the powder inside this that propels this this projectile. When you release that power in a decision, something downrange is going to happen. When I was a boy, I badgered my dad until he pulled down the 12-gauge double barrel and the 22 long rifle out of the closet that I had been looking at forever. And I, tried, I finally got him to let me shoot it. He kind of had a gleam in his eye when he stuffed two 12-gauge cartridges in the, in the breech of that 12-gauge double barrel when I was seven years old. And I was pretty excited about what was about to happen until I pulled the trigger. And when I picked myself back up off the ground, I said, let's do that again. And I've been doing it ever since. But what I want you to understand is, folks, you have power. You have power to affect generations. God isn't just interested in saving you from sin. He's interested in making you a light to the world. He's interested in your descendants. Every decision you make has some. Some good, some bad. And those people or those individuals or those situations reproduce themselves. As you can see here, what Jesus talked about and what the Word of God has proclaimed for since the Old Testament is that there is basically a visitation of evil down the generations, second and third generations, the word says, of them that hate him. But he also says that he will visit to the thousandth generation those that love him. Now, I'm here to tell you today that our promise is awesome. You may feel like you're unimportant. You may feel like you're a lost ball in high weeds, as my grandfather used to say. You may feel like nobody notices you, like your impact on the world is really nothing at all. I'm here to tell you today the enemy wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that you don't matter, that your little world is no big deal. But I'm here to tell you that you are going to leave behind you that which is like you. It's the first law of the, of the scriptures really talking about growth. In the, in the Bible, it says that everything reproduces after its own kind. Wouldn't it be awesome 
if we would leave a generation behind us that were absolutely in love with the Father and the kingdom of God was their mode of operation. Wouldn't it be awesome if they learned from the time they got old enough to understand anything that they could lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover in Jesus' name? Wouldn't it be awesome if their mouth was filled with the word of God and their heart responded to every move of the Spirit? Wouldn't it be awesome? Because not just our own life would be affecting the world, but theirs also. It's exponential, folks. It's incredible, as you can see from this one example. And I want you to understand today that that making decisions is huge. I think back even on the decisions that were made that affect us here this morning. We're sitting in this room today. There's a significant congregation here, and we reach around the world today uh, not because of, uh, of just sovereign ideas that kind of float around in the universe, but it had to come to the person. And many people, I think of the, all the decisions that were made along the way when it would have been easy to back off and not make a decision, when it would have been easy just to go away and, and, and just let life go on. To take the easy road, but there are decisions that are in front of us all that have momentous capability. I, I know I'm speaking to some people here today that are about to make decisions. I, I, I'm sure I'm speaking to people today that are listening to the siren song of temptation and making preliminary decisions. Decisions that you will regret if you don't listen to the Lord. I think there are people in this room today, without a doubt, that are making decisions about things that are going to impact the generations. There are people in this room today that need to write books. There are people in this, in this room today that need to write that song that God's been putting in your heart. You need, to, you need to put your hand to the plow for the kingdom's sake. You need to do some things, and you've been trying to make a decision. And sometimes a seemingly innocent, simple little decision opens the door to magnificent things that are only in God's heart until he sees someone walk into it. I think about Joshua and, and the team that was gathered on the banks of the Jordan there. They'd been waiting 38 years since their predecessors made a horrible decision not to go into the promised land. And Joshua talks to the priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. He says, step into the waters. And wouldn't you know it, the waters were at flood stage that day. But those men, under direction, made a decision. They were carrying something that was probably between 450 and 600 pounds. Four old priests. And they were asked to go out into floodwaters and stand there as those waters are rushing by, holding this heavy ark. But they did. They made a decision to say yes. As they moved into those waters and standing there in that cold, rushing water with this massive thing on their, on their shoulders, 19 miles upstream at a place called Adam, something happened. And the water stopped. They stopped completely. So that within hours, the children of Israel had been able to go across the Jordan River into their promise, dry shod. What I'm saying to you today is you never know what one step of obedience, what one decision to agree with God, one decision to obey can instigate. It's so amazing. I've come to the place where I like decisions. 
I've come to the place where I realize that every decision isn't just random. There are things that God puts in front of us to see if we will walk into the next chapter with him that he so badly wants us to walk into. I think about what the rules were when my dad and and anybody that I was around in a hunting scenario always stressed. When you fire that gun, make sure you check downrange to make sure of your target. Decisions are like that. Think about your decisions in terms of what's going to be produced long term. What are people that look to you for advice going to think about your decision? Will they follow that decision? Will that decision produce good fruit or bad fruit in their life? And will, it, will it be a blessing to those around? Uh, you know, that you need to understand what your target is when you make a decision. Too many of us make decisions without really giving too much thought to the downrange effect. I'm as guilty as anybody else. I'm, I'm impulsive. I, I feel something, and I want to move on it, and, and I do sometimes. And then I think, you know, that would, you know, my beautiful theory just got ambushed by a gang of ugly facts. And, you know, it's just not a good thing. I want you to consider with me just for a moment some people that looked at life and had to make decisions. What about Eve beside the tree? Can you imagine what life would have been like if Eve... And those who followed after her hadn't eaten from that tree. The tree of life was there, as opposed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which led to death. What about Cain, alone with Abel? He didn't have to kill his brother. He didn't have to introduce the world to fratricide. He did not have to be the guy that would have a curse on his head. What about Moses? As he was out there in the desert following around those sheep and he saw what looked like a bush on fire, which wouldn't necessarily have been unusual, but he had to go see. Little did he know what had set the bush on fire and where it would lead him. What about Moses later on, the rod and the rock, when Israel had made him mad? And he said, Must I bring water forth from this rock for you rebels? As a pastor, I've had that same emotion several times. (laughs) And he took the rod of God. It wasn't the rod of Moses. It was the rod of God. And he dishonored the Lord by striking the rock. Oh, the water came out. But God remembered. And he didn't go into the promised land because he hadn't honored the Lord in that moment. Every decision has a descendant. Everyone. What about Caleb and Joshua coming back from their tour with the rest of the 12 in the promised land? What to report? The rest of them said, yeah, it's true what was said about the land, but, but there's giants over there. They carried back a cluster of grapes so large from Echol that it took two guys carrying that cluster of grapes on their shoulders. What a picture of prosperity. And yet, fear, seeing themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of their enemies, kept them out of the promised land permanently because God God said, listen, every one of you, except for Caleb and Joshua, who gave the right answer, are going to perish in the wilderness. And that decision didn't just take out 10 men. 
That decision took out the entirety of everyone over the age of 20, 38 years, walking in the wilderness, 90 funerals a day until God's word had been fulfilled and a new generation came along who could listen to Caleb and listen to Joshua and go in. And Caleb and Joshua got to go in with them. I'm just here to say today that there are decisions that have descendants. What about Abram and Sarah? Promise of God, you're going to have a child. This child is going to be a blessing to all nations. But the problem was God's timing was not their timing. They're getting old. Sarah's 90. Ladies, think of it. Abram's 100. Not really into soccer games all day long on Saturday. But God says, now's the time. But before they got to that time, they had a better idea. Sarah comes up with it, oddly enough. It was a cultural thing. She says, Abram, I'm, I'm not able to have this child, but God wants us to have this child. So take my maid, Hagar, and have a child with her. It'll be your child. So they do. And that child persecuted the promised child. And still does. The Lord said of him, of Ishmael, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. And to this day, he persecutes the promised child. The Arab-Israeli conflict of the world is directly the result of that conquest, that idea. It also affects the world in terrorism today. Every man's hand is against him, and his hand is against every man. They can't get along within their own culture. What I'm saying is, when God says something, it's the truth. Listen to this. What about David, King David, staying at home in the spring and not going to battle? It was the last battle with the last enemy. He was full of pride and full of, full of weariness from continual wars, so he stayed at home that year when the battle was raging out in the countryside with other enemies. While he was there relaxing and congratulating himself, probably standing on the balcony looking out over his domain, he happened to see this very good-looking young woman bathing in her backyard. And, you know, the first look won't kill you, but the second one might. And he went and brought her in, and, you know, they had an affair, and pretty soon that affair had to be covered up with the murder of her husband, all of that would have been avoided if he'd have made the decision to do what kings do. For the rest of his life, he paid the freight for that. A rich young ruler struggling with his investments. Jesus loved this guy, told him what it would take, and he went away very sad. He made a decision not to do what Jesus said. What about Jesus weighing the Father's will against his own? When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane with his sweat as great drops of blood pouring out, those that tell us what that really means is that his capillaries under the skin burst and he began to perspire blood, which is a, a picture of great stress. We don't see Jesus that way. We see him, see him totally, uh, com, you know, totally in control of his emotions and so forth. But he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, 
take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm so thankful today that he prayed that prayer that way. If he had gone the other direction, we'd be without hope. But he did. He did the right thing. That decision has descendants today. What about Pilate deciding not to decide, washing his hands of the greatest decision in his life, entrusting it to fate? What about Ananias and Sapphira deciding to lie? They were just giving a gift, but they lied about the whole thing. And in the presence of God, that lie was tantamount to a death sentence. It's plain to see from these few examples that the momentous is often hiding amidst the mundane. Just decisions. Just have to decide about this or that or the other thing. Sometimes it's much more momentous than we think. It's very obvious that a different decision in each case would have resulted in a very different outcome for all of us. The question is this. Is there any significant personal decision I can casually dismiss as no big deal? I saw a quote one time, and I thought it was stated well, is this. Life is what happens while you are planning more important things. Now, haven't said all of that. Haven't said how important and how serious and all that all these decisions are. I got a question for you. How are we going to live with the pressure, considering the fact that my decisions will have such a major impact on the future? How am I going to live with that, knowing that any day I'm going to make a decision that is going to have a family, that every decision has a downstream result? Johnny Morris's company, Bass Pro, has a statement in some of their advertising, we all live downstream. We're all living downstream from somebody's decision-making. It's important, folks. We can't just casually make all these. But the pressure, the pressure is difficult to handle. But here's the deal. Thankfully, as believers, we have a massive amount of principles and promises from the Lord that assure us of His ever-present guidance and interest in leading us toward good results. His repeated promises of provision, protection, direction, and even redemption and restoration not only make the decision-making process less stressful, but potentially exciting. I can tell you it is exciting when you realize that God is in some degree putting in your ballpark, in your, in your, your realm of, uh, of responsibility, opportunities to make a decision that he can get behind. That's, that's a cool thing. God wants to partner with you in the future. A lot of us look at our future as an unknown, and it is. A lot of us look at our future as a, a roll of the dice and, and hope it works out well. And, and, you know, I hope there's good luck in the future. And, and God says, hey, listen, I'm already there. He's the I am. He's already there. He already knows what can happen. He already is inviting us by inspiration and by principle and all the rest of it into the future that he has planned, into the dream that's before us that we may not even be aware of. And our decisions are the roadmap to get us there. And it's exciting to know that he's not leaving us alone in this. So as a first order of business, 
fear not. Let's look at a very small sample of the many promises the Lord has given to those who seek his direction. These three verses alone provide what I refer to as a kind of general atmospherics to bear in mind when we approach a life filled with decisions. Psalm 119, 105. The Lord is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is a protective verse that lets us know uh, in, in the culture of the day, uh, they didn't have street lights and all that kind of thing in their villages, and so people would carry around lights with them. Uh, the one, the lamp to the feet, was a little ankle lamp that would be lit that had a small mirror on the side of it, uh, or some small piece of polished metal would be what it was. And it wasn't a, a bright thing at all. Uh, it, was, it was a lamp that would light basically one footstep because uh, they didn't have paved roads and all that kind of thing. So you're walking in places that might be uh, easy to trip or break an ankle or whatever. And so that, that lamp would, would light the, the path where your foot was to tread next. So it's immediate guidance. But there's also the light to the path which was another lantern that they would carry, which again had a polished metal piece on the back of it, which would reflect uh, generally a little bit of light out in front so you could see the next few steps as well, at at least in some fashion. So the picture is this, that there's not only immediate guidance, but intermediate guidance. The principles of God tell us many times what we must do or should do, and we have to take, take advantage of those things. I could give a lot of examples of that, but I don't think I need to. I think you can apply that yourself. Um, but the Lord doesn't want to leave us uh, it, with a blank sheet of paper, as it were, when it comes to making decisions. The principles of the Word of God. David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so my decisions, when the word is hidden in my heart, already tell me. There's people that come to, to me all the time over the years and, and have asked questions like this. I, I think notably of several people that were contemplating uh, an affair uh, with somebody that they'd met at work. And they say something like, oh, I've just met my soulmate. Would you pray with me about God's will for this situation? What is that on your finger? Oh, that's my wedding ring then why are we praying about this? Why why are we even praying about this question here? You're already walking down a pathway that leads to destruction. Don't ask me to pray for you for direction on this issue. I can give you the direction. Run. Run. Get the heck out of Dodge. This isn't something we need to pray about, discuss, hope for, hope for wisdom. Wisdom has already been given. You do not need to pray about this one. Go ahead and say amen about that or ouch or help me, Lord, anything. But bottom line is don't mess around with fire. Galatians 5.16, another great one, another great principle. It says he invites us to walk in the Spirit and to avoid fleshly mistakes. The Bible tells us right here, if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The lust of the flesh always seems to connotate to us um, sexual activity. Well, that's part of it. But there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All these things are against the will of God often. 
And so there's a lot of things there uh, that, that seduce us and, and draw us into places where we just definitely do not need to be. And so if we walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you, remember, is the author of the Scriptures. The Word of God came to the Holy Prophets as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was the one writing on behalf of the Father the truth that would guide our lives. So that same Holy Spirit who's forgotten none of that Word lives inside of me. He will never, never agree with me when I am in disagreement with God's Word. He will never lead me down a path ordained by the flesh. He will always tell me to watch my step. He will always tell me to turn away from this and turn toward that. The Holy Spirit cannot lie. The Holy Spirit cannot say anything other than what he's already said. But he comes to confirm and remind us of what the Lord has already said. So when you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you get out of that arrangement, you're most likely to fulfill it. Philippians 2.13, one of my favorites, says that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This one is so powerful to me because these words are, are basically powerful words. Will and do, will and do. The will is something we've been given free. I can will To absolutely turn my back on God. I can will to do my own thing. I can will to listen to my mind instead of the Spirit of God. I can will to do any. That's the option I have. But God says, listen, I want to work in you. Since my Holy Spirit is inside of you, I know that people ultimately do what they want to do. Anybody have kids here? Here's the thing. God says, I am going to work inside of you so that your will begins to match mine. I'm going to cause you to literally want to do it. I'm going to let my spirit so invade your heart and and your, your whole being to the point that you're going to want to do what I want you to do, what's good for you. Not only that. I am going to give you supernatural ability to actually do it. I'm working in you to want to and to be able to. So you can't say, I want to, but I just am not able to. That that, that won't fly. Because God's working on both fronts. Desire and ability. Desire and ability. And as we walk with the Lord, our, our Holy Spirit taste buds change. The things I love changed. When I started living for Jesus, my dreams and my desires changed when I got to know the Lord. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, it even went on steroids because the Holy Spirit had more of a voice. He had the most unruly member of my body now under control as I yielded to him. It's so powerful, folks, what is available to us and how often we downplay our capability as believers. Proverbs 2 and 3, man, oh man, if you haven't read Proverbs 2 and 3 in this context, please do so right away. Uh, let, me, let me take a, just a few verses here for you. It says, my son, 
Chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up, listen to this one, sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Here's the deal on that. And and the verse just beyond, he guards the paths of justice and he preserves the way of his saints. Wow. Here's the deal. If I'm walking with the Lord, he says he's going to preserve your way. He's going to guard the path of justness. Now, if I'm walking in the path of the just, it's like he's already put angelic hosts along that road. Does it mean that everything will be easy? No. But he's saying, I'm guarding that path. You can't, you can't really requisition God's guarding and God's guiding on a path of your own creation. Are you there? Again, oh me, ouch, help me Lord. He's not obligated to go where you've decided to go in disobedience to his stated path. Now, I'm not saying that he won't rescue you from it. But usually when you get rescued, you don't get to take out all that you took in. You know, you get, when, you, when you're on the plane and, and they say, you know, in case of emergency, uh, take your shoes off, leave your luggage, you're getting out of here and that's all. Well, that's the way it is a lot of times uh, with the situations we get ourselves into. We have to go kind of wounded and bleeding out of those situations so we don't get back into them again. Uh, any, can anybody say amen? Don't, don't raise your hands. This is, this is a promise, but it's also a warning. And it's a, it's a great word to us. Life is not all that scary when you just walk with the Lord. It says, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion, which is wisdom in, uh, in play, will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness and rejoice in doing evil. So, so basically, God will, will help insulate you from, from the infection of the culture around you. It's not easy. There will be an option for you to be uh, messed up by that which everybody else is doing and what is popular in that particular world. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. God can help us walk through this life. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be disappointments. But the bottom line is he will keep us through all of those things. He will give us a way through that wilderness. It doesn't frighten God to to let us go through difficult things. Because here's part of that. When you go through difficult things walking with the Lord, you have a testimony to help other people out there 
in the world around you that have relationship with you. And so all of that stuff becomes in handy. I've, I've found that out just in the last three weeks as I've been working with churches in various stages of change and, and having decisions in front of them that they need to make to go on to what God has in mind for them. Uh, there's difficulties. There's obstacles. But you know what? God already knows about the obstacles. And overcoming those obstacles is part of the thing of walking in the Spirit. It's not an easy street. Everything doesn't fall uh, into your hands, but it is a way of living life where you come out of it with, with some ammunition to help other people. Um, let me leave you today um, with a little checklist. Um, this hopefully will help you when you're contemplating a, a decision and be careful on, on these points. I'm saying this. Be careful about decisions when, and there's ten things here. I can't go into these in detail today. Maybe at some future date we might. Uh, but be careful about a decision when you're feeling weary, hungry, ill, or otherwise physically distressed. We see this played out in many places, but let's take Esau, for instance, in Genesis 25, uh, where he thought he was going to die of hunger, and he sold his birthright, which is the stupidest uh, business deal ever, and, and, and he got a little bowl of soup basically out of the deal. And too many times we do the same thing. We sell out too cheap uh, for immediate comfort. Jesus in Matthew 4.11 gives us the antithesis of that. When he's dealing with the, uh, the situation in the wilderness there, when he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days fasting, he's hungry, he's tired, he's uncomfortable, no doubt. And it was at the end of that period of time when the enemy came to him with three very plausible opportunities and options for the pain and the difficult life that he was going to uh, have to live. I, I don't have time to go there. But thankfully, thankfully, Jesus passed that test. Number two, be careful about decisions when you're feeling devastated, overwhelmed, or hopeless. In Job chapter 2, Job had had his whole world fall apart for doing no wrong. And his wife shared with him a word of counsel. Why don't you just curse God and die? Really great advice. <laughs> Offering him a permanent solution for a temporary problem. You got to be careful when you get in a place like that because sometimes the way out isn't a good way and we take that because we're just tired, we've been beat up, life looks pretty hopeless to us. But I tell you what, having been through a few things in life, I can tell you from my own perspective that there are many times in life when God lets you come to the end of yourself. But at the end of that road, he's standing. He's there. And the sweet fellowship that you have in those moments when you feel most devastated and most hopeless and most out of resources are some of the greatest moments that you will ever have with God. I understand. We love it when it's enthusiastic. We love it when it's high praise. We love it when it's exciting. But you know what? That level is surpassed by what happens in the quiet of a person's heart when they know no solutions and Jesus is standing there just to love you through it.
You fall in love with him more times like that than you ever do when everybody's going crazy. And both are appropriate. But don't worry. At the end of that road stands Jesus. What about the ten spies? I talked about them earlier, these guys. What a bad decision they made. They felt devastated because they'd come all this way. They'd left the so-called security of Egypt to go to a place where now there were giants in the land, literally, that could have them for lunch. And they're, they're called to make a decision about whether or not they can afford to obey God. They made a terrible decision in their hopelessness. Saul in, second, in First Samuel, he made a terrible decision. You can read it for yourself. 20, it's 1 Samuel 28, 5 through 20. He made a terrible decision uh, out, out of the same situation that I've described here. And you can read it for yourself. Number three, be careful about decisions when you're being influenced by unusually strong emotions. King David, again, 2 Samuel 11, he was... He was in a, he was, oh, pardon me, that's the wrong, Samson is the one I want. Uh, Judges chapter 16, 4 through 20, he got pretty fired up about a young lady. And he put too much trust in her. And he fell into a bad situation that cost him literally his eyes. And uh, it was a horrible decision on his part. What about the disciples in Luke 9 when people weren't receiving they weren't receiving the word of the Lord very well. Preachers understand this. And they said, shall we call down fire on them? <laughs> In Jesus' name, show those heathens. Jesus said, you have no idea what spirit you're of. He didn't even question if they could call down fire. See, they were, they were relating to Elijah and Elisha. See, they, they, they liked that. That's power. That's authority. That's being cool. That's being bad for God. And it's amazing when your strong emotions come. They can be on one end of the spectrum or they can be on the other. You can be totally in love and, you know, your feelings are just going crazy. The hormones are raging and all of that. Or you can be on the other end of it where the hormones are raging the other way and you want to kill somebody and tell God they died. Be careful about decisions when you're feeling self-satisfied or flattered. King David, 2 Samuel 11, the whole story with Bathsheba happened because he stayed home feeling self-satisfied. His last battle with the last enemy, the, 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 the kingdom was secure. He had God's promises over his life. He was wealthy beyond imagining. He was popular. He was, he was blessed of God. And in that moment, in that moment, maybe it was a sense of entitlement. Maybe he was not used to having to tell his emotions or his desires no because of his prosperity. I, I, I think of a pastor friend that told me one time, and I believe it to be true, that more people have been destroyed by prosperity than poverty. Because we get to a point where we can afford it, and we, we feel it's due to us, and we feel that something owes us what we want, and you're not used to telling yourself no. And he saw this young lady, Bathsheba, and he said, hey, I got to have that. And the cost of that moment changed his life and his kingdom forever. Or Herod sitting on his throne, and people said he's a god. He was all, 
awesome looking. He was arrayed in such a way that people said, he's a God. And he did not say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I'm just a man. And God hit him and cursed him. And he, his body was basically, he died from the inside out. Now, I won't describe it, but it was horrible. Be careful about making decisions when you make assumptions based on previous success, yours or others. There's several examples here. Um, you know, let's take Paul because we all, we all just look at Paul as an amazing leader, and he was for sure. In Acts 16, he made a plan. He had a ministry plan. He was going to go up into Asia. Every place he'd gone, the Lord had preceded him and gone before him, and, and there had been miracles and salvations, and churches were planted, and elders were established, and so forth, and he was going to go to Asia. And the Lord forbid him to do it. He tried He pushed back a couple of times, and the Lord forbid him to do it. So be careful in pushing beyond what the Lord is enabling because you've done it before. Here's the thing. A lot of times when when God commands us or, or gives us instructions, he gives us instructions for that moment, but it doesn't necessarily carry on to every other situation in our life. We always need to keep the prayer Uh, open and flowing to see what the will of the Lord is. Just be careful about that one. Uh, The sons of Sceva, they're in the book of Acts chapter 19. I love this picture. They found this demon-possessed guy. And they said, well, we're cool. We can do this. And uh, they were religious guys. And so they said, you come out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they came out all right. And that guy fled, they all fled wounded and bleeding from the experience. Because you can't, you can't tailgate off of God's blessing or anointing of somebody else. We see this all the time in, in, in Christian media. Brother so-and-so gets on television and tells us how he, he believed God for this new jet plane. Or he believed God for this Cadillac or this, that, whatever it is. And so everybody picks up on that and says, well, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to believe, I'm going to use the same language. I'm going to confess it and possess it and so forth and so on. And they get themselves in all kind of trouble because God didn't say that to them. You can't, you can't, you know, piggyback off somebody else's direction. I need to hustle here. It's about time to go. Um, Let's take a look at these last five real quick. Be careful about decisions when, you're not prop- when you have not properly counted the cost. Tower builders, Jesus talked about, he says, you know, it's not wise to, to start building a tower and then realize after you've got it halfway built that you're not able to complete it. Uh, I've mentioned adulterers here in Proverbs chapter 5. Wow, you know, the, the, the problems that a person gets when they don't figure out what's going to happen downrange of that decision to, to step outside of the marriage and, and get involved in that way. It's not a good idea. Believe me, you don't, want to, you don't want to have that result. Nextly, be careful about decisions you make when you feel you just need to do something. How many of you know that sometimes your timing is not the same as God's? Anybody here say amen to that? Yeah, I've noticed that a lot. And in Genesis, we have Abram deciding with Hagar... We have Saul 
in 1 Samuel 13, deciding to offer the sacrifice because Samuel wasn't getting there in his time frame. And God rejected him as ruler over Israel based on that primary moment right there. Careful, be careful about making decisions when you're recovering from a major loss or suffering from significant levels of depression or confusion. Here's the thing. We are promised some things in James 1.8 that if we lack wisdom, let's ask from God who gives it liberally to all people and never makes us feel ashamed for asking. If you're in that, po- in that point, spend your time not trying to pray and, and get the answer you want. Spend your time asking God for wisdom. Just confess it, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And that's, that's music to his ears. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, we also understand that God is not the author of your confusion. He's in, it's just absolutely not him. Nextly, be careful about making decisions when you're tempted to act out of anger, revenge, or jealousy. We already talked about Moses, the rod and the rock earlier. We talked about, uh, you know, well, we should talk about an angry man in Proverbs 19, what he gets himself into and what people who follow this person get themselves into. We're living in a time in our country right now where everybody's angry at everybody else. Seems like the most, the most common headline I read in, in my news feeds today is so-and-so slams so-and-so. Come off it. Anger is not going to get you there. And if you get to be part of that angry crowd, it's going to come back and bite you. What about Absalom? You talk about a case study. Absalom in 2 Samuel 13 through 18. Read it for yourself. Don't go there. Jealousy and anger will not take you to places God wants you to have. That's not the way to receive your destiny. And finally, be careful about decisions when God seems far away due to prayerlessness and broken relationship. We see King Saul in that place. He was in a terrible spot. The enemies were surrounding him. And he couldn't get a hold of God through any means that he he had come up with because of his life. He couldn't get there by the priests. He couldn't get there any other way. So what did he do? He turned to a witch to tell his fortune. And you know what happened there. Then finally Judas. And that broken relationship In the confusion and the prayerlessness of his heart, after he had betrayed the Lord, he saw that he'd done the wrong thing. He brought the money back to the priests, and he went out in devastation and hung himself. This is what happens when people try and make big decisions when they're far away from the Lord due to prayerlessness or a broken relationship. Today, why don't you stand, if you would. taking you through a lot of stuff here but I I really would encourage you get the notes, they'll be online walk yourself through these things, when you're making a decision, take a look at that checklist, take a look at those principles and apply them you will be amazed at how the Lord comes to you in ways that help you understand what you're to do but here's the thing there are people in this room today that are going to make some decisions right away. The biggest decision you can ever make is submitting your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without that, you're on the wrong road. It's going to end at a bad place. Downrange from you, 
is a place called hell, a place you never want to go. And there we'll forget David Brown, recovered from a four-day coma. I walked into his room just as he was waking up, and he told me, Pastor, Pastor, I just came back from someplace I never want to go again. And he described what he had experienced and what sounded like hell. And before five minutes were gone, I had led him to Jesus. He came to know Jesus and for the rest of his life was excited about that decision. He will be, he's excited today about that decision, even though he's gone now. If you've never made that decision, today would be your day. Heads bowed and eyes closed around this room. Is there somebody here? He'll say to me, Pastor, I need to make that decision today so that my future looks bright, so that I have a home beyond this life. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, would you simply slip up your hand? I won't embarrass you, but I want to pray with you. If there is anybody today, please hurry and do that so we can can dismiss. But I want to do that because it's so important. All right. Secondly, is there someone here today that says, Pastor, I am in the process of making some decisions right now. Big ones to me. Let me see your hands around the room. Father, in the name of Jesus today, I ask that you would pour out your spirit on these people. I ask that their minds and their hearts would be like fertile ground for you to pour your love and grace and wisdom into. We're asking for your wisdom today. We're asking for you to open our eyes of our understanding. We're asking, God, that you would direct our path. We're asking that you would go before us and make our path straight. Work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure, God. Give us the desire to do your will so that it's easy and fruitful. So, Lord, I pray today your blessing. I pray that you will literally encamp around about those that fear you. Guard their path as they follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap today? He's awesome.